Good morning, church. Uh, good morning, those that are watching at, at home. If you have your Bibles, if you would take them to and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. So we're going to read for you this morning the scripture reading from 1 Timothy chapter 1, the entire chapter. So follow along as I read for you this morning. Welcome to worship this morning. We're glad that you're here. Beginning in verse 1 of 1 Timothy chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach different doctrine nor devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered into vain discussion desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now, we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but the lawless and disobedient, for ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. <clears throat> I thank him who has given me strength Christ Jesus our Lord, because he has judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in an unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever. Amen. And I charge you, and it, I, I, this I charge you, this I charge, I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. This is the word of the Lord. So there's a couple of things as we, as we get into um, this passage looking at 
verses 12 through verse 17 in the text this morning. A couple of things that I want you to to think about. Paul here um, reminds Timothy about his former life in Judaism, that that Paul persecuted the church. Uh, He reminds him of his conversion and of his appointment as an apostle of Jesus Christ. Um, The presentation of Paul's story is very brief here. It's only a summary, and you can go back to the book of Acts, and you can read um, Paul's full story in Acts chapter 8. So we don't find in 1 Timothy great detail, but he does make mention of his his story. And we have to ask what the purpose of this is. Why does Paul tell Timothy this brief account of his story? Um, Last week, we looked at, we left off where Paul talks about the law being good if it is used lawfully. And so you had, you had people in the, in the church that were false teachers. And so Paul, to combat these false teachers, tells a bit of his story. And so as we, we look at this this morning, I want you to think of what is your story? Um, what is your, we would call this in church your, your testimony. Um, your testimony is uh, your life before Christ and, and, and making a profession of faith in Christ, and in, in that, that time that you came to understand. For some of you, it was very short and succinct. Um, it was a, a, a day, a moment in time when you understand God's claim on your life. And you came and, and asked forgiveness of your sins and received God's grace and mercy and love. For others, that realization came over a longer period of time. But there was a time. You know, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you can look back and you've got a story. For some of you, that before Christ was in adolescence, it might not have been that your story was like Paul, where you did all of these things. You stood by and watched murder happen. Um, you were a persecutor of individuals. You don't, you don't have that kind of story. Um, you know, you might have st- stolen a toy from your brother or sister, like that's your before Christ story. Nonetheless, you came to understand that any sin, all sin, is worthy of death. And that you had a need for Christ. Do you have a story? Um, Have you written that story out? Um, Can you tell that that story? Here, Paul is, he's using his story to actually correct false teaching. Um, And so we're going to look at why. Like, why is this here? And if you have a story, if you have a story in Christ... Um, it would be great for you to be able to share that, to know it. We had one of our elders um, who, who taught a course on just sharing the good news uh, of Jesus um, this past summer. Many that were in a small group went, and a few others of you went to that. And part of that was you writing out your story. Um, Quabia Agbley is going to go through that same coursework for ladies um, and uh, she's going to take you through that. But um, I hope that many of you have, um, you've thought through your story and you can communicate your story to others um, because your story in Christ, coming in Christ, it can, it can do incredible things um, because it is the story of God. It's the good news. And so we look here, what is the purpose of Paul telling his story? Um, you're going to have the opportunity to tell your story. It, verse 18 says, This I charge and entrust you, Timothy, my child, in accordance to the prophecies previously made about you, that, that by them you may wage good warfare. He's not finished his charge with Timothy to 
put down, put out, expose false teachers. Um, neither is he done with rebuking false teachers. In verse 20, he, he mentions two false teachers by name, Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom he says he's handed over to Satan that they might learn not to, to blaspheme. So, so again, what is the purpose of this passage today? How does Paul's brief testimony fit within the argumentation of his letter? What's his point? Well, there's three points. We're going to leave them up there um, as, as we go through. You'll see them all through the service to remind you. Um, so here are, here are the three. Um, Paul reminded Timothy of his testimony to, one, defend his apostleship, two, to present a, a pattern for true conversion. And, and that's why I say your story is important. Because if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, your story will, will be very different than anybody else's story, but it's going to follow a pattern of true conversion. And then three, to give glory, to give all glory to God. So let's look at these three reasons why Paul presents briefly here his story amidst this charge to Timothy. So first, recognize that Paul speaks of his conversion to defend his apostleship and his, and, and his authority as an apostle. We said before that an apostle is a special kind of authority. It was reserved for the early days, the establishment of the church. These apostles were eyewitnesses to Christ's resurrection, to his resurrection, his body rising from, from the grave. They saw Christ after the resurrection. They were commissioned by the risen Christ himself to serve as special representatives in the founding of the church. Um, they had possessed special authority. Um, that was validated by signs and wonders. Um, these apostles um, wor worked miracles as proof that they spoke with divine authority. And you can read all about this in, in the book of, of Acts. You know, they had the kind of uh, authority to, um, to heal and all, all kinds of things happened that were unusual, that were marked by their authority there in, in the book of of Acts. Um, Paul was an apostle, um, but he was, an, he was a different apostle. He was not one of the original disciples that walked with Jesus during his earthly ministry. Um, he violently persecuted the church at the very beginning of the church, um, but yet he was appointed as an apostle after those 11 that were with Christ. So you can imagine how opponents of Paul would oppose him. And no doubt that these false teachers that, that are mentioned here in 1 Timothy that were in the church of, of Ephesus would have taken his reputation. And they would have said, look, look at this individual. Look where, he, where he's been, what he's done. And they would have highlighted the violence against the church and his late arrival um, as an apostle. Um, the, Paul says this of, of himself in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 8 and 9. He says, last of all, speaking of himself, as one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Uh, Paul um, is, is consistent in his approach and in, in sharing his testimony. He he shares his testimony, his story in the book of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. He admitted that he was unworthy to hold the office. And yet at the same time, he insisted 
that he indeed did hold the office of apostleship, but it's by the grace of God. That was part of his story. The Apostle Peter even mentions uh, Paul in 2 Peter chapter 3, and note how he mentions him in verses 15 and 16. He says, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks of them in these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do other scriptures. So, so notice even in Peter's writing, the, the apostle Peter, he's saying, our beloved Paul, and in the same breath he's saying, our beloved Paul, but yet there's individuals that don't understand the scriptures and they twist the scriptures. So you can see in, in even just in that short passage, Paul is recognized as an apostle. He's recognized as, an, as a brother. And at the very same time, Peter's mentioning, here are false teachers that are opposed to our brother Paul. Paul was an apostle. He saw the, the, risen, the risen Lord. He was commissioned by the risen Lord. You can go back and read his story. The Lord actually appears to, to Ananias, and it's recorded in Acts chapter 9. And the word of the Lord to Ananias is this, Rise and go to the street called Straight at the house of Judas. Look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen a man... He has seen a vision, a man named Ananias, come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, answered Lord, I have heard many, I've heard many about this man. I've heard many things about this man, how evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name to the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So Paul, with no doubt, is called by God to be an apostle. He's called by God. And so here in 1 Timothy, he defends his apostleship. He says, uh, in verses 12 in, in 13 and 14 there in, in the text, he, he says this, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he has judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. I want you to notice three things here about Paul. Paul doesn't deny his past. He doesn't deny his past. He, he readily admits there in the, in the passage that he's a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent. But two, see that Paul points to the mercy and grace of God as the grounds um, for his apostleship. It was God's mercy and grace that came to him. I mean, think of all the apostles. The, the Bible records not just um, what they did for the cause of Christ, but it also records their shortcomings as well. 
And we only have one hero in the story, and that is Jesus. You think about Peter and his actions. Peter, who stepped out of the boat but took his eyes off of Jesus. Um, Peter, who responded in violence in, in the garden. But yet Peter is an apostle. And in Paul here, he points to the mercy and grace of God as the grounds of his apostleship. And, and, and three, Paul says that the Lord judged him faithful. That's such an interesting thing to say in the text, all these things about you, but then say that he found him faithful. You know, upon closer examination, we see that Paul clearly states in this passage that everything is owed to him simply by the grace of God. So even his faithfulness is a, a gift of God. Um, faithful simply means dependable. Um, and he was, he was dependable. He could be counted upon. But that dependency, the fact that, that he was a dependable individual, he says in verse, verse 14 that the grace of our Lord overflowed to him. God judged him faithful because God had by his free grace made Paul faithful. So what's, what, what is the point? Why does he say in, in verse 12 of the text, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly and in unbelief. Notice here that Paul isn't speaking about his salvation. He's not speaking about his salvation, but he's speaking about his appointment of his apostleship. Although his salvation is in view in this passage, he's speaking about his appointment to the service of Christ. And what is it, what's required to serve Christ in this official capacity as an apostle or an, or an elder within Christ's church? Among these things... A minister must be found faithful. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. This is how one should regard us, speaking of ministers of the word, Apollos and Peter and himself, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Faithfulness is the quality of being dependable. It's a, it's a requisite for ministers of the gospel. Although, as we'll go through and we'll see that there's qualifications for elders and deacons, and, and explicitly faithfulness is not mentioned in that list of qualifications, it is implicit in the text. It is implied in the text that an elder or a pastor must be faithful, faithful in his home and faithful in the community, faithful in the, the service of the church of Jesus Christ. And so it is interesting how often Paul emphasizes faithfulness when commending ministers of the gospel. He commended Epaphras to the Colossians as a faithful minister of Christ in Colossians 1.7. And Tychicus as a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant of the Lord. And Onesimus was also called Faithful and a beloved brother. Faithfulness is stressed as a, as a characteristic of one who ministers the gospel. They're dependable. You can count on them. Listen to what Matthew chapter 25 verse 23 says. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been found faithful over a little. 
I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And that's a great verse just to put out in front of you. Paul emphasizes faithfulness because it is only through dependency, only that person who continues to be faithful over and over and over again, you can count on that person. They have this, this quality of faithfulness that we enter into joy now and forevermore, that we've been faithful, that we've been faithful. Perhaps this is why the words of Jesus here, why Paul emphasized faithfulness. Um, as awful as his sins were against Christ and his church, the Lord judged him faithful and appointed him by mercy and grace to the office of apostle. Um, God's grace was lavished on him. Yeah, think about Paul's remarks. I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly and in unbelief. You know, think about the sins that Paul committed prior to his conversion as a blasphemer, a persecutor. Uh, do not forget that the qualifications uh, that Paul is soon, and we're going to get to those chapters that lay down for elders, they must be above other things, uh, above reproach, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome. I would imagine that some would have questioned Paul's credentials, knowing his past. You know, how could someone with that kind of past be appointed to such a high office in the church? How could that be? What's the answer? There's comfort in this for you and I. Here's the answer. It's the grace and mercy of God. It's the grace and mercy of God. And, and this, you might say, well, well, this is only for sins prior to salvation. No, the grace and mercy of God is for all sin. All sin, when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Satan's the accuser. Satan's the one who wants to remind you and say, hey, you know those sins that you committed pre-salvation, as a Christian, just this morning on the way to church, at home in the living room? Satan's going to remind you of that. But if they are under the blood of Jesus Christ, the only thing that God looks at is forgiveness. He remembers them no more. They're forgiven. See, Paul is appointed to an apostle not because of what he did or who he was, but because God counted him as faithful, because God forgave him, because his sins were remembered no more. It was the grace and mercy of of God, of God. And you look at the Bible. Pe people today, false teachers today would like to pit Paul against Jesus and Jesus against Paul. You'll see this if you, if you read further past the surface of Christian living books. You probably can, in an in a Christi online Christian bookstore, you can read the literature that pits Paul against Jesus in the writings of That's ridiculous. It was Jesus that gave Paul the office. It's Paul who pens much of the New Testament. Right? There's, there, is no, um, there, there is no discontinuity between what Paul says of Jesus. It was Jesus who appointed him to the office. And so Paul says it's by his mercy 
and by his grace. So why does Paul make mention of his former life as a prosecutor of the church and his conversion and his appointment to the service of Christ? To defend his apostleship against his critics. But there's, there's more to that. What he wants to show is a pattern of true conversion. Remember last week we, we talked about the law and gospel and how they fit together. And how, how the civil and ceremonial and moral law, all of them point to Jesus. All of them are fulfilled in Jesus. And all of them in principle are still in operation today. For sure we see most clearly the moral law in play. But how will Jesus rule and reign? Um, he's not going to throw away what he said was good in the Old Testament and have some new way of reigning as King Jesus. All the ceremonial law points to what? The holiness of God and his sacrifice on the cross and its sufficiency for our forgiveness, for his forgiveness of us, of our sins. Right? It, it fits together. And so Paul wants to, he, he's defending his apostleship as one, he's untimely born. He was, he was, he was Johnny come lately to apostleship, but nonetheless, he was not less qualified. He was qualified and he wants to show how Jesus saves him and how his salvation, although his story is not typical, the pattern is typical even to today. And so he wants to defend his apostleship, his authority to say these things, and now to show what is typical of all of us, his pattern of true conversion. So one, to defend his apostleship. Two, to present a pattern for true conversion. And then we'll look at, finally, the glory of God. So secondly, and I think this is even more important than the first, but nonetheless as important, um, Paul gives his testimony to present a pattern for true conversion. So Paul's conversion is to be viewed as typical. Now, if you go back to Acts, you'll read in, in, in his story, and in some respects, it is not typical. It, it was quite extraordinary. But the pattern is there. That this is how someone comes to understand who they are and their sin and have their sins forgiven. Look at verse 16 in the text. It says this, But I received mercy for this reason, that in me... As the foremost of sinners, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. In other words, Paul was converted as he was so that his conversion might display the perfect patience of Christ towards sinners, even vile sinners. That's an amazing thing. He says, I was converted so that the perfect patience of Jesus might be put on display. You know, we who claim Christ walked in darkness. We were blinded by sin, puffed up with pride. And then in your story as a follower of Jesus, there came a time where um, you were humbled where your eyes were open to the severity of your sin and to the glorious grace of forgiveness that's found only in Jesus Christ. And having been humbled, you were drawn to Christ, trusted in him. And having believed on him, you have been bestowed grace 
and mercy. And then as an act of obedience, you walk through the waters of baptism to proclaim as Christ has commanded your conversion, your profession of faith. And from there, you began to grow in obedience and to advance the kingdom of God. What Paul is saying is that this pattern that you see in his life is typical of every single Christian. I want you to recognize two vital components of true conversion this morning. One, um, a true realization of one's sin, and two, a, a true appreciation for the grace of God that was bestowed upon us in Jesus Christ. Clearly, Paul understood that God's grace is glorious. Look at verse 14 uh, in the text. In verse 14, we read, and the grace of our Lord, what, what's the next word? Overflowed. That's right. Overflowed for me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Grace is undeserved favor. Grace is a gift. By God's grace, Paul had faith in Christ and, and came to understand God's love for him. But before we can understand God's super abundance of grace, we must first comprehend the horror of our sin. Does that sound overstated to you? The, the horror of our, our sin? I, I hope not. I, I hope that our sin is truly horrendous. You see, that's why Paul says that the Old Testament law is good. It's good. I, I had... Um, this conversation um, no less than two times this week. If I had it twice, I probably had it three or four times simply because it was on my mind as, we, as I was studying this passage. And, um, and you look at the Old Testament and, and there's all kinds of different things that God does in, in, in the law. And we, we look at certain laws there that God laid down and the punishment for that is death. And for some of those, we, we would say, oh, that's a terrible thing, right? That's a terrible thing. Certainly someone who is beyond a shadow of a doubt guilty for that, they deserve death. And we would go, yes, right? right? We, we would say that, you know, if they're beyond a shadow of a doubt guilty of that, they, 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 the image of God, they've destroyed the image of God in someone. Someone who is like outright murdered someone, um, they, they admitted it, it's clearly that they did that, we'd say, okay, um, that, that's fine. But then you look at some of these other laws, like trespassing. Is trespassing worthy of death? You say, well, No. But wait a minute, when Moses went up to the mountain, they marked off the base of the mountain when he went to get the Ten Commandments. And if you trespassed, what happened? You died. Wait a minute. Now, now so this gets into interpretation. How do we, you know, somebody, you're little kid, you're on my lawn. That's not, that's the wrong application. Okay, don't go there. Right, that's it. What is the application of that? There was, there was a, there's a story in the Old Testament in which God had given instructions about how to carry the Ark of the Covenant, and they weren't doing it according to God's instruction. And what would seem a good motivation for this 
very special piece of equipment that, that was in the, in the tabernacle and in the temple that was part of the worship of God. It was on a cart and it was about to fall and a man reached out to steady it and he put his hand on it and the story says he did what? He died. Why do we have these things in the Old Testament? It's so that we can see the holiness of God and the horrendous nature of our sins when we violate the holiness of God. Like we, we tend to think, wait a minute, you know, on a, on, a, on a civil level, right, the, the crime and the punishment, like they need to equal. And the Old Testament does provide some provides a lot of guidance on that, how those penalties in, in the civil. But when it comes to the ceremonial, what you will find is that when we violate God's ceremonial or moral law, the punishment is always what? Right, you said it very quietly in the room. Maybe you shouted it out at home. Death. It's death. Why? Because God's perfect. He's holy. He's righteous. I, I've said this before. Like, if somebody's breaking into your house at night, you're going to, and, and you know, they're breaking in and they want something and, and they're not going to let anybody stand in the way and you have, you know, people that you love in the house in a righteous way. You're going to defend that. Why? Because that place is not a common area where we would say, we would use words like profane. It's not the mall where anybody can walk on. It is what? It has a special purpose and it's night, right? It's your house. It has a special purpose. It's set aside. We could actually say in some sense, it's a holy place. It's not just for anybody. And when anybody comes in, and especially that anybody who's a threat, they are going to get wrath, right? And so, right, there's an amen. That's right. So God's holiness is like that. You can see that in that illustration. When sinners invade the holiness of God, because he is love, right, he loves his holiness, because God is holy, he cannot let sinners invade on his territory and make profane his holiness. And so out of love, he defends it. But that's a problem because we are sinners and he loves us too. But he doesn't do away with his holiness. He makes a way and that's Christ. You see, I hope that we understand our sin and its horrendous nature. Paul says this in verse 15. Look at how he understands his sin. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Paul is saying here that he understands um, his, his sin. Um, this little phrase, um, Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm the foremost. I, I want to look at just three things in this phrase. One, 
Christ's purpose for coming into the world was to save. We were under the wrath of God. And, and, he, and Paul says here of his testimony that Jesus' existence in the world was to save sinners. Two, he thinks of, of, of himself, um, if one thinks of, of oneself as righteous, then Jesus has no benefit. You know, I think that that is one of the things that, um, that we have to understand before someone can find their way, they have to understand that they're lost. And if you're here today, whether in the room or at home, and you think you are just fine, and you don't know Jesus, know that you, or you don't need Jesus, know that you are lost. That's probably the most important thing that I can tell you this morning. If you feel you don't need Jesus, then you truly are lost, because Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. That, that phrase, of whom I am the foremost, uh, means I consider myself, Paul is saying this, I consider myself to be the worst of sinners. You know, when Paul looked at himself, he considered himself to be the chief, the foremost, the worst of sinners, because Paul had this understanding of the holiness of God and his sin. You know, I think if Christians are tempted to come running to Paul's defense and saying, no, Paul, you're not really that bad. There certainly are worse sinners than you or to question Paul's sincerity, thinking, well, Paul said this, but he doesn't really believe it. I want you to consider three things. One, Paul's, sinner, Paul's sin was really great. You know, he persecuted the church. Um, Christians' lives were ruined by what he did. Some were killed. Stephen, the first martyr of the church, was stoned to death while, while Paul who was called Saul, gave his formal consent in Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Second, it's not unreasonable for Christians to sincerely believe themselves to be the foremost of sinners, even if they've lived a relatively wholesome life. Um, we are much more, I'm much more aware of my own sin than yours. That's the way it should be. You should be much more, as we grow in maturity, um, we should be much more aware of our sins than somebody else's. And our sins ought to weigh on us more so than the sins of other people. If we have that backward, there's something that's awry in, in our growth in Christ. Our sins. And Paul is deeply aware of his need. He's deeply aware of his sin. Jesus came into the world to save, save sinners, of whom I'm the foremost. I'll, I'll leave it at two things. Let, let's move on. Um, let's think about Paul's testimony and false teaching for a moment. Can, can you see the way that Paul's testimony would counter the er errors of false teachers? Because they're saying salvation is some other way. It's in keeping of the law. It's in renouncing something that is part of your heritage. There was this genealogy that they had, or it's a matter of this Jewish genealogy. Um, it, it was, it was these, uh, they were counting on other things other than Jesus, either to the exclusion or to the inclusion of certain things, there, there was this false teaching that was centered on the law of Moses. We don't know exactly what it was. 
But what, what Paul is saying, no, it, it's, it's Christ alone. And what the law does is it, it drives us to Jesus by showing us our sin. You see, these false teachers understood neither the Old Testament law nor the New Testament gospel about Jesus. Uh, one of the other things that Paul's testimony reminds us is to be appropriately gracious with false teachers. Um, repentance here, Paul's writing these things because repentance is the goal. If they refused to repent um, and continue to teach false doctrine, um, Paul mentions two, Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom Paul handed over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. Certainly they need to be exposed and put out as false teachers. But the primary purpose here is patience. And he mentions the, the perfect patience of Jesus. And so how valuable it is for us, um, even as we address false teaching, that we ought to be just um, as, as patient. Uh, uh, finally, Paul's testimony concerning his former sin and the superabundance uh, of grace um, would help Timothy maintain this kind of patience towards false teachers. Um, some, it says in the text, acted out of ignorance, but all um, of the saints in Ephesus were struggling with sin. And so here, this patience, um, Paul is instructing Timothy to be patient with false teachers, but as well, all who struggle with sin. Why? Because Jesus is patient, and he's patient with all of us. And that's why Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them with repentance, leading to a knowledge of truth, and they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Um, that doesn't mean that over time, if they do not um, come to their senses, that rebuke is out of the question. In fact, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14, it says, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. So patience is stressed. Patience is is, is stress. So the third reason here is to give glory to God, to give all glory to God. Um, so we see that one, Paul mentions his testimony to defend his apostleship, to present a pattern for true conversion, and three, to give glory to God. Look at verse 17. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And when the gospel, when law and gospel are faithfully proclaimed, it's God who gets the glory. It's not us. It's not our identity as a local church, but rather it's people who see Jesus. And truly, we are sinners saved by the grace of God alone. And to him be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So Paul had a testimony. He shared his testimony. 
Um, we can read it in, in Acts, Acts chapter 8, in detail. Um, he shares it in other places, but he shares it here to defend his apostleship, the authority of, of the things he is about to say, and, and the fact that he is a true convert and, authority, and has authority as an apostle. But he shares it as well to show that there's, there's a pattern. There's a pattern, that it is the grace and love of Christ alone that saves sinners. And then he, he shares it, why? To give all glory to God. Uh, so what is, your, what is your testimony? Do you, do you have a testimony? Can you clearly articulate that? I would encourage you, um, if, if you're to go in obedience and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I would encourage you, if you've never written that out or you, you can't articulate that, what is your story that you would do that even this week? that you would write down and maybe even take it one step further and share your story with someone. Maybe that's someone just in your small group, someone who's a believer, but maybe it's someone who doesn't know Christ as Savior. You have a story. And the story is not about you, but it's about you and the grace of God that he has given you. An unworthy sinner who has been saved by grace. And you know, if you don't have a story like that, this story can be true of you as well. For that grace that God has given in Christ Jesus is available to all who will believe. And so if you are burdened by the sin of your past, um, if you are bound by sin in the present, be unshackled by the mercy and grace of Jesus. Go to him. Ask for forgiveness. And the promise is true today as it was of Paul. He will forgive you of your sins. And he will give you life and life eternal. And that is the way to hope and joy. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the testimony of Paul. And we ask that you would work in these moments as we spend some time, unlike the time that we have the rest of the week, some time simply to give in meditation of the word of God. So I ask that your spirit would work. Lord, I ask that your spirit would work on, on those that do not know you as Savior. Convict them, convince them of their sinfulness and their need for you. Help them understand that they are lost helplessly, hopelessly without Jesus. We cannot do that. Only your spirit and your word can do that. You can do the convincing. We can simply be faithful to be messengers of the truth of Jesus Christ. So we ask you, please work in people's lives who do not know you. And then, Lord, make us faithful servants, even as Paul. Help us to, to understand the, the gravity of our sin and our sinfulness. For we are sinners. We are the chief of sinners. We can say the same thing with Paul. We know our sin, and yet we have experienced your grand forgiveness, your great forgiveness, your, your overwhelming grace and love, and we experience it every day. Even as we fall short of the mark, we know that you stand in the gap. Thank you for your love. Now help us in this time, heart and mind, 
to focus on you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.